I'm Ryan, the other guy's Jordan, and this is Two Angles on Angling. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Two Angles on Angling. This is Jordan with my co-host. It's Ryan. What's up? So, another week. I did get out one day. Nice. So, uh, my buddy Dylan and I, we went to Canisius Lake because things were not looking favorable uh, back here locally. So I wanted to get out because it's been a while and he, he texted me midweek and he was like, Hey, what are you up to this weekend? Because his work schedule, we like, it just, we couldn't have got out hunting. It just wasn't going to happen. So figured let's get a short fishing trip in. Uh, launching was a bit hairy at first, not going to lie. Uh, the water level's pretty low there and the rain was, it, the rain probably helped a bit, but you know, not, not enough. So we were having some issues launching really? in the in the morning, yeah, because like the the ramp ends pretty abruptly, and it just know, ends not... up being straight bottom. Like yeah, the I, I, it, yeah, yeah, it's like I, I, I it, hate it's ramps like mucky that, like sand and yeah. stuff as well. So I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so we were trying to. He was up trying to analyze it because the water was so dirty you couldn't see like you couldn't and it was choppy so you couldn't see where where it really was. So like I ended up I have that push pole in the boat. Uh, for when I'm fishing like super shallow stuff and all that uh, comes in handy a lot and I was like trying to feel where the end of the ramp was and we're like okay we can back the boat up another two inches to try and try and push it off Uh, but anyways it got back on the trailer just fine anyways um, we knew that you know it was going to be a a dicey day regardless but we were just getting out to, to have fun uh, the water clarity was a little lackluster, but we found some clearer areas and uh, it produced fish or like the transition areas nice. between that mud water. Um, off the bat, he caught a nice four pound smallmouth. Um, just a beautiful fish. You'll get, you guys will see it on my Instagram if you look at some point, but just it looks different than a Lake Erie smallmouth and a river smallmouth. It's just a unique, unique fish and the colors on it are absolutely absolutely great right now and then uh, a little while later it, it took a long time to figure anything out we tried shallow we tried deep um originally which this was kind of mind-boggling to me so the water temp was 53 degrees and we were on the side the windless side and where he caught the first one there was bass busting everywhere really yeah like noticeably like they were bass like they were close and you could see them and we're like what's happening so we started like casting like the swim baits to them and reeling it high in the water column just it wasn't happening he ended up catching his one and then that whole like phenomena just ended and it went stale for hours and hours and hours so like the first one was the early morning bite it was like eight and then that that classic like afternoon bite like noon is when he caught his other one 
and both on the same swim bait and everything, hmm. similar areas. Um, but we just couldn't figure anything out. It, it was kind of a, I've been struggling there as, as the listeners know now for the last uh, few times I've been there, but I don't know. It's, I don't know if it's getting pressured a lot more, if I just have no idea what I'm doing there anymore, but Hey, it was nice getting out, caught two beautiful fish and, uh, it was just amazing to get get away from the local water, to be honest, because not that I fished it often, but I have fished it a lot more recently, and I haven't fished Canisius uh, too much, and it's cool seeing it now with all the leaves gone and everything. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, things have changed pretty pretty quickly through here. Oh, yeah. Over the, the past chunk of time. Yeah, I uh, early in the week, I fished three days last week or this past week i mean early in the week i had planned to take off had doctor's appointments and uh, boat maintenance <clears throat> but I, I fished monday had tuesday off fished wednesday fished thursday and then uh you know friday uh we got a ton of rain i opted to stay in basically from friday to saturday morning there's over two inches of rain hit the region so, I mean, like everything was just blown out. And I assumed Saturday morning the system was going to be, you know, ravaged. And uh, it's one of those things, and it's, it's so hard to predict whether or not it's going to happen, but it's one of those things that, um, that can happen. Is so you had all of these creeks, man. Like the Cataraugus was at flood stage. Like the Erie Canal was dumping out massive amounts of mud. Buffalo River is dumping out massive amounts of mud. Like you got to think, like two and a half inches of rain in a day. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of rain, you know. And it was just steady. So the the region got soaked, and uh, all these creeks, you know, were flooded out, dumping mud into East River, right? So I wake up Saturday morning. And go look at it east river and it's like an inch of visibility like i went to recharge my live well to like uh you know um just get the fish livened mm -hmm. up and give them some fresh and i could barely see the bottom of my live well that's how dirty the water is Whoa. like yeah yeah i mean it's like Whoa. you you can't distinctly pick out individual fish that's how dirty wow. the live that's how dirty the water is there's nowhere to get clear water, right? Mm -hmm. But that was yesterday morning. So I'm like, oh, man, the system must be screwed. But then I didn't hear from any of my buddies who were, like, on the fence about whether or not they were going to fish. And if and uh, they were doing trips for me. So because I canceled my trip and I didn't hear from them. And I'm like, wait, did they fish? So then I went to the lower and the water was freaking gin clear down there. It was perfect. There was very little stain at all. And uh, I'm like, wait a minute, how the hell is this possible? Like Lake or the Niagara River, the upper Niagara is like bank to bank and East River is mud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and West River was running clear. West River is still probably running clear at this at this moment. Um, but East River was like totally muddy. Now, so everybody can understand this, like if East River gets muddy, that's um east river goes down and then reconnects at west river right above niagara falls right well the eastern bank or what's basically like the northern bank of the niagara river one that's once it reconnects like that's where the power authority is 
that's where the power authority diverts water to fill the reservoir that pushes water over the dam and generates power. The dam that's on the lower Niagara, right? So I'll say that again, like the water flows down East River, reconnects, reconnects with West River. But at that reconnection point, that's where the power authority takes water, pumps it through underground canals, fills the reservoir up, and then pushes water out of that reservoir over the dam in the lower Niagara to create power. So East River is always dirtier than West River, right? And when, especially when it floods, like, like I said, yesterday morning, it was mud, straight mud, all the way down. But the lower Niagara was clear somehow. I don't understand how it happened. Like the mud, it, I guess it took like a really long time to get there. And it just hadn't gotten all the way downstream yet. It was like a super slow flow for some reason. Hmm. And because, uh, dude, even after I left Lewiston, I went uh, up to the reservoir. This is at like one o'clock in the afternoon. I went to the reservoir, walked up to the top of it and looked at the water and it was gin clear. And I'm like, OK, how is this even possible, man? And I guess I must have. Because I saw the water like down East River when I went down, uh, I went over the North Grand Island Bridge. It was bank to bank mud. Hmm. And I'm like, how is the water not screwed up? So anyway, I called my clients and I'm like, look, I don't understand this, but the water's clear. And um, I, I don't understand how or why, but I guess we should go in the morning, you know. So I went down there this morning. It's now it's all bank to bank mud. So the system's jacked. Um, plus, there's like huge waves on Erie today. Um, and I think like we're, we don't have any precipitation in the forecast for the next little piece of time. Um, probably until like Thursday. But um, it's windy today. There's a small craft advisory ending uh, like tonight, you know, tomorrow morning at four. So the lake's supposed to lay, Lake Erie's supposed to lay down tomorrow. Um, but like I said, the river's the river is going to be jacked up for at least a couple more days. I'm probably like Tuesday night. Like it, it'll be fish. You could probably fish the river by Wednesday. You know, that's like optimistic, but we'll see. I'll know more to, by tomorrow um, on that, but it's it's dicey. But towards the end of the week, it'll be fishable. And there's not any huge wind in the forecast for the front half of the week. So if you want to fish, like Lake Erie is going to be the place to go. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, and then towards the weekend, there's like crazy snow forecasts. I saw like three inches of snow starting Friday afternoon through Saturday, like another five inches. And like it, then there's like some pretty big wind towards the weekend. So it's like this, this upcoming week's just dicey, dude real dicey so i want to fish as often as i can during the front half and see what we can make work so looks like you and i will get out tomorrow just yeah. do some some poking around i know that so but yeah the general observation on the fishing side of things this past <clears throat> week is uh the trout are still doing their thing in the lower you know lakers are there still people are catching those haven't really gotten any steelhead yet um seen a few get boated but nothing crazy um and then brown trout downstream, a lot of small fish, uh, but there's fish there. Um, but uh, and the bass fishing on Erie is all about super concentrations. Like 
I think I mentioned it last week, but I definitely noticed it this past week. No, I didn't. I didn't. I haven't talked about this yet, dude. Um, yeah, so there was a day on uh, on Erie. I only fished Erie once. It was on Wednesday. And uh, it was with one of my uh, regular clients uh, that he's more of a friend. I fished with him, been fishing with him since my first year. He books me all the time. He's a great dude. Um, it was him and his son that, that we went out. And there was no wind, like none. There was there was no movement, and so I had to like use the trolling motor to to move us. But dude, like it took us a little while, but I I found a, a school of fish, and uh, as soon as we got on top of them, we just started hammering immediately, and we just kept. So I would like take off and check out and look around for another school. We would cut. We you know we'd take a little poking around, but. We would eventually find them and start catching a bunch again. And then, so this guy, John, he, he pulls out a, uh, an aqua view. And I'm like, man, why'd you bring that? And he's like, it's like, aren't you curious? And I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to know. I don't want that imagery in my head. I just kind of like the mystery of it down yeah. there. Um, you know, I don't know. That's part of it is the mystery. I, I don't know. That's, I, I, you know. I, I, I guess it's part of it for me is the mystery. But, I mean, when there was no movement, man. He fucking dropped the camera down in one of these schools, and what I saw was going to haunt me for the rest of my life, man. I'm telling you, dude, there was just a, there was a huge school of fucking huge smallmouth. And, and, like, he would just take the camera and, like, turn it 360, and you just saw, you know, big fish all over the freaking place. <laughs> And, uh, and with walleyes yeah. mixed in and like the occasional uh, perch. And it was like, dude, what's going on down there? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was dumb, dude. Like we, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't want to look at that anymore. It was like, every time we drop baits <laughs> on him, boom, like he, he yeah. started calling it, uh, his son, Matt was calling it elevator fishing. He's like, you drop it down and it comes right back up <laughs> with a fish. <laughs> and it was crazy, dude. It was crazy. We had, I mean, we had like countless doubles that day. I don't know how many fish we caught. And that was the whole tactic is we would just get on top of a school and just drop baits on them and they would freaking hammer like near immediately. But then if you, if you like inside those schools was interesting too. Like we never caught a fish bigger than five pounds in the school. Um, you know, was, there was, there were five pounders in there, but there were also a lot of small ones. Um, but then once you would like stray away from the school, not too far, but get away from the school a ways and just kind of comb the desert for a little while, like water that you just don't think there would be fish. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you would just run into a couple of giants, Yeah, you know, and they're just, they're out on the periphery and deeper stuff and like slightly different terrain. Hmm. Um, but that was an interesting pattern there too. So that's what I've seen on, on the bass and the, uh, the trout. And now, you know, what I, my prediction going forward the bass is just going to keep getting better. I mean, now we got all these highs in the forties, lows in the thirties mm -hmm. days. Like it's not, it's not getting out of that for a while, but the water temperature is going to drop precipitously. And, uh, by the time everything gets cleared, like the fishing is going to start getting really, really good. Um, we're going to get to the point where artificials are going to be the main, oh, nice on the lozenge. The, uh, artificials are going to be the mainstay. Um, I won't have to fish bait as much anymore. I'll, I'll always have it, but 
they'll yeah. be able to do a little bit of both. I, this time of year, I enjoy because of like the pure simplicity of like yeah. what you have to do. It's it's yeah. not that I, I can't say much. I didn't catch a fish recently, but in the grand scheme of things, no, you know, you're, you're totally it's right. Traditionally, though. it's like you know you don't have to <clears throat> and. Uh, because we, we haven't had like a full kick into to cold weather, like mm-hmm. we, we it got cold quick, uh, briefly, and then it just got warm again. And the water's been in the upper fifties for a while, but it's going to drop yeah. fast now, man. Like it's going to go down a lot this week. So, yeah, um, I'm excited. We'll obviously uh, tomorrow, and then hopefully I'll be able to get out another day this week. Uh, it's opening weekend, so I'm trying to get down. We'll see. Uh, got to figure that all out but i'm excited going forward and hopefully get some uh, steelhead in my life as well as you might have seen ryan i've been doing the uh the series of my personal bests from like the yeah. last few years and there's nine total and i i just was trying to scroll and find in my i found my steelhead i have no idea length or weight on a steelhead what? i know this one's not an absolute giant but I'm like, I've never really been in, like, I've never caught a big class steelhead still. So I want to knock that off my list again soon. But uh, I posted the muskie so far, which, you know, that that's going to take a long while to beat, I believe. But that's okay. Um, got a lot. My small mouth I'm going to post tomorrow, which I'm, it's cool going back and looking at all of these. Yeah. And I'm, you know, the, I'm trying to sh- share a short little like paragraph story recapping it as well. Not only for like everyone, but for like my own log as well. Like just there you go, it, man. You know, but yeah. And all the other time making lures and uh, organizing tackle as you were showing me when I first got here before the podcast, kind of getting things organized again and back in order and. We have a little more downtime now with the weather and how unpredictable it's been. So those are the the good days to try and keep up on that stuff. Yeah, I mean that's a it's an interesting quick little sidebar before we uh, we get deep about uh, the what we got in the agenda for the uh, deeper discussion today. But the uh, the other thing that I did this past week is uh, inventory. You know, I mean, as you, you know, like I, I keep, I'm pretty simple and light on tackle as it is, yep. but, uh, I, uh, I pulled all my boxes out of my boat cause all my tackle storage is built into the seats. So I could, I pulled all the boxes out just to take a look at exactly what I had in all of them, uh, ditch some gear that, uh, didn't get used, you know, put it in a, in a bin to, to bring to cotton bobs to trade in for store credit. I mean, there, I, there's a surprising number of things that I buy. We're not talking about hundreds of dollars. It's probably in the order of like 150 bucks at the most per year of, of things that I buy that just I either overbought or uh, just didn't get used the way I thought that they would mm-hmm. at the level I thought they would. You know, so and I try to mitigate that. But I mean, dude, it's 150 bucks, yeah. you know, um, in the scheme of things, that's that's not bad. But yeah, so, you're getting some money back for it as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. so I did, you know, inventory where, you know, my spoons are what I needed. I got to prep for, for spring Kings and Lakers, Browns, etc. Um, so I got that box in order. Everything else is, is surprisingly pretty tight. So I'm not, not ditching all that much. It, it only took me 
you know, six years to, to, <laughs> to really figure it all out, but it's pretty, it's pretty streamlined now. So I'm happy about that. But anyway, that's the end of it. But what are we getting deep about this week, bro? So this topic we had planned several weeks ago, but I'm glad that it didn't happen because all the episodes have kind of led into this one as well with the topics that we'd ta- we had covered. Um, native fish. Yeah. Like that's just the grand, grand topic, I guess. Um, we were talking about smallmouth uh, a lot when we were talking about well, actually, we were kind of talking, basing it off of the lower river in our conversation as well with, like, um, what the natives here would have done uh, harvesting those fish. But then from there, we kind of were segmenting off into when we're transporting fish right. and placing them in places that they were not meant to be. So uh, you obviously haven't fished a lot of different places uh, for different species and uh, obviously, this is a huge conversation in the trout fishing world as well. Um, kind of, what's your what's your take on it? Yeah, and well, your, I'll your I'll, uh, I'll use our region because it's a great example, right? Yeah. So the native fish, and and okay, so native means that without any direct. And, you know, we could get into a uh, debate about what the word direct means. But with, at the, in the spirit of keeping it simple, it's the uh, creatures that exist in a place without any direct in- intervention from man. Because mm, okay. so the man is or humanity or humans mm-hmm. is the is the anchor point for this. Right. So it's it's creatures that have that are in an ecosystem behaving the way that they're behaving without any human inter- direct human inter- intervention. Okay. Then you got stocked fish, which basically means that a fish is uh, raised on a farm mm-hmm. or a hatchery. Um, and they're hatched, you know, from eggs. And so they take eggs from females. They take sperm from the males. They fertilize them. And then they hatch the eggs and uh, raise them to a certain size, depending on the fish and where it's going. And then they dump those fish into a creek Mm -hmm. and people uh, can catch them and and eat them. So they're farm-raised fish. Um, They oftentimes were introduced to creeks that can't actually sustain them. So they're for put and take purposes and it's, but it's a, it's a cool way of connecting to the environment and Mm -hmm. harvesting a bunch of food, getting a meal out of it, something to do with, you know, it's cool cultural thing. It's really big down in Pennsylvania. It's, you know, but anyway, um, so stocked fish, Oh, let me go back to native. So native Mm -hmm. fish around here, a few examples of them are muskies, Northern pike, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, perch, walleyes, lake sturgeon, you know, how all those fish got into the Great Lakes to begin with is a whole other conversation. I mean, I've looked for answers for that and not really satisfied by anything that I've found. But those those creatures that I mentioned, lake trout, those cre- those creatures, uh, white fish, those are the ones that are that have been here since the last ice age and uh, during the formation of the Great Lakes. Like those are the creatures that were originally here. Um, and then stocked fish here are 
like king salmon, steelhead, brown trout. Uh, lake trout are stocked too. Those are the main ones. Lake trout, steelhead, brown trout, and uh, king salmon, coho salmon. And they're all um, hatched and introduced in varying numbers throughout the year. And the reason why king salmon were stocked here and why we continue to stock them here is because we have an invasive fish called the owlwife or an owlwife uh, that if it's not kept in control, it'll breed like crazy and it'll create huge fish kills. And that's what's, that's what happened that, you know, and, and that's why we introduced Kings into the system to, to mitigate that. Um, so without those fish are there as a control mechanism and then brown trout, they're stocked for diversity. They also eat the alewives. They also eat gobies. Um, you know, so they're a good cleaner. And steelhead can help fill in any of the gaps between the salmon and the, the other trout. So, and lake trout are native, so we pretty much fished them out or polluted them out to, you know, borderline extinction in the Great Lakes. So they get stocked by federal money to, to keep them going. But they're also native, like they're from here. So mm -hmm. those are the natives. And then you have wild fish, which is the middle of it. In the middle... Wild fish, meaning that a fish was stocked somewhere and uh, it adapted to that environment. And it wasn't just one fish. It was a whole population of fish were introduced to an environment by humans. And they uh, adapted to that environment and began pro procreating in that environment. That's a wild fish. So introduced by man to an, to an environment that it's not from. And the examples of wild fish that we have around here would be um, like brown trout. Uh, there's in the non-lake connected tributaries, or even I guess they could be connected to lake, but like the Cataraugus is dammed, for example. So the upper Cataraugus, um, you know, Elton Creek. There's a bunch mm -hmm. of creeks around mm -hmm. here, uh, like out in the southern tier. Yeah. They have a, a naturally, a, like a wild brown trout population. Yeah, so if the water stays cold, it's, they're heavily spring influenced. Um, and brown trout and rainbow trout successfully breed in that water. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a wild fish. Brown trout in general are wild no matter what like unless they're unless they're in a straight up stocked fishery but uh brown trout that live like uh brown trout aren't native to the united states like they're native to to europe uh, like the, U the caucuses and then like the uk and uh uh iceland because all those were all connected at as a landmass at one mm -hmm. point and you know continental drift spread them out and isolated those populations of fish but that's where brown trout are native rainbow trout are native and like west rocky you know the west slope of the rockies you know pretty much along that whole fault line uh that goes all the way up to through alaska mm -hmm. you know and then uh, down into like northern california and then you know if you go straight across the pacific like Kamchatka and like Eastern parts of Russia, mm -hmm. that's where they're native, but we have rainbow trout around here. Same, mm. you know, so that's the thing. Now, th those are the definitions of the three things. We have all of those things here. And uh, just like, you know, 
all of those terms are human based there are humans the anchor for all of them there's oftentimes communities of people that form as advocates for the for that particular type of fishing and mm -hmm. and then naturally tribalism starts coming out of that as well you know so you have people that will only fish for natives and i got to tell you like on a personal level excuse me when i travel around places i prefer to target the native fish to that place right so um and it feels weird to me to not target that the native fish to that place mm. but sometimes i've done it like uh when i went to oklahoma uh this year uh you know i caught stocked rainbow trout i mean no i mean wild rainbow trout in one place and you know striper wild stripers yeah. in another place you know, like if I was going to fish for native stuff, I would have fished for like crappies, you know, which mm, yeah. that, that state's famous for. Yeah. And, but I, you know, I didn't think about it, but in, in, that was, you know, it, uh, Lake Texoma was mm. the best place to go for the family. But l like I said, for the most part, I try to target native stuff just mm -hmm. to see what it's like and yeah. if that's even a thing. There's a lot of places around this country that like fishing for native stuff is tough. Like when I, like, or take, for example, like I fished the Guadalupe river, uh, down in Texas and there's a tailwater stretch of that where there's big rainbow trout stocked in it, like big ones. Like the, I think the average length of the fish that they stocked in there at the time, I don't know if it's still happening is like 20 plus inches, which is a big rainbow, you know, especially on a five weight, five weight, and like five X tip it. Like that's a great fish. That's a great fight. Um, but what the hell are the rainbow trout doing down in Texas? You know, like this, <laughs> you know, like it, it's just weird. There's no way that they could live there. Like, what are they there yeah. for? And oh, they're there because people, you know, paid some money and there's water cold enough to sustain a population. So it's like, Hey, we want to catch trout down here, hmm. you know? And meanwhile, down river, there's uh, like, th this is the thing to think about. Like a lot of the rivers out West, um, the, the most famous trout rivers out West, um, are made by men, you know, like they're a tailwater. The only reason why those trout can live there is because there's water coming out of a dam that's out of the bottom of the body of water that, or the reservoir above, which is super cold, oxygen-rich water, and it comes out. It's got lots of nutrients in it. And downstream, it creates awesome environments for bugs, and then the water stays cold, so trout live. All that mm. stuff's totally man-made and, and totally determined by man. They're like, they're playgrounds. You know, they're really cool. I fished a lot of them. Like, they're yeah. really cool, but dude, they're definitely playgrounds. Like, there's something that just feels off about it when you fish it, at, at least when I, when I fish it. Even here, like, that's why I like the bass fishing, you know. But, but, some, but this is where it starts to get dicey and where I, I wonder, like, the relevance of these terms, right? Because... Um, our bass fishing arguably is also heavily influenced by men, you know, like, uh, our bass would not be what they are, the size that they are and in the numbers that they mm. exist, mm. if it wasn't for us, you know, like accidentally bringing gobies yeah. here, no doubt. you know, like in throughout this the entire state of new york and in the great lakes region like the mega smallmouth that people are catching in the in the region 
are a direct result of gobies. And, like, and the zebra mussels as well. Yeah, I mean, the, they but, coincided, yeah. But th those two things are what, so we call those things invasive, right? Mm -hmm. And they're invasive, but they're only here, they're, that's another term in relation to men, right? And, and this is where I, I, it starts to get weird for me when, okay. I, when, I, when I try to define all these things. I wrote a I wrote a blog with this because I was struggling with my own desires to only fish for native fish where I go places. Like I wanted to question why I was thinking that way yeah. and why I felt partial to it. And uh, but the thing is, is like it's it's hard to figure, like find a place that hasn't been influenced yet. Like it, the, the, everything is kind of connected. And if you look at like the the Great Lakes, like they're. Uh, the smallmouth bass fishing wouldn't be what it is if we hadn't been moving around the planet, you know, carrying stuff with us. And some creatures just figured out that just used us as modes of transportation, yeah. you know, like, so we look, we act as if we are responsible for it, but maybe that creature has something else to do with it too. You know, like it's it just, it's just weird to think about, man. Yeah. No, um, I, I see what you're saying but, for sure. You know, Cause it, it all, it starts to get twisted on top of itself. Like think like, uh, think about the creature that, um, had such an effect on us that we decided to clone it and and reproduce it at a massive level and introduce it into all kinds of places around the country that it, they just never emerged it and doesn't really, isn't from that environment. And then it takes it over and starts to dominate it. Like who wins in that situation? I mean, it's like, it's a symbiotic thing at, at, yeah. the, at the minimum, but we act as if like we're solely responsible for it. When, how come that, that animal and, and its ability to make, to influence us, to help it procreate, like, why doesn't that get talked about? Yeah. You know? So I, I just, it's, it, I start to get squeamish around those terms because I don't know how to define them anymore. You know, and the other thing is like, I, uh, depends how you look at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's, it, but, but I'm telling you, man, like people will get entrenched about native fish, you know, like something that's native. There's a whole community of people that focus strictly on native fish wanting to restore environments back to, you know, a, a or re or basically encourage the reintroduction of native species. But you know, what does reintroduction mean? Like a lot of places, yeah. the native species just can't survive in these environments anymore. So now what, you know, there's something to be you know, thought about there too, you know, but then you have, uh, people wanting to stock trout or stock creatures. Like think about this, man, like smallmouth bass aren't native to Maine. People in Maine, like mostly hate smallmouth. You know, like if you find smallmouth in oh. creeks up there, like people don't like them. They look at them as a dirty invasive. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting because oh, they're not they're not they're not from there. But but they they got in there and you know a lot of people aren't happy about it. They like their Atlantics and their uh, their landlocked Atlantics and their brook trout, and um, they don't want smallmouth showing up to a place and dominating it. You know, so just kind of a little uh, related to this. Um, so I don't know the exact terms and like time frames and everything, but obviously at some point there were elk on the East coast. Yeah. So recently, well, not recently. They're down in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. No. They, yeah. They're and they've reintroduced them wildly in areas. Yeah. I've like, seen them down which there. Which is, yeah, that, that's so interesting to me. Like, cause I remember in, 
elementary school learning about that. And I'm like, because my grandparents live in Pennsylvania, I'm like, I want to go hunt elk in Pennsylvania. Yeah, they, they did the and, same thing in uh, Wisconsin, too. There's they, yeah, they, they do the and, elk up there. Yeah, it's like that's that's interesting to me how, like, yet again, man's doing that. Like, how are we deciding, like, and making these big decisions to be like, we're going to just reintroduce this animal or like wolves and all that uh, out west and how that's all been yeah, it's, a it, huge thing. It's an, it, the whole topic is interesting from the fishery standpoint and like just uh, wildlife in general. Yeah, dude, because you got to think, man, like uh, especially east of the Mississippi, there's just not a lot of old growth forest anymore, right? Yeah. So like at the time that elk... And not to get too crazy, not to get too deep about this, but this yeah. this all this all connects into what's native and what's influenced yeah. by man or whatever. You know, like everything east of the Mississippi, you know, was like heavily logged. And so like larger animals like elk, when it was old growth here, you had huge trees and it was easier for them to walk around in a forest and stuff like that because you got huge trees with a super high canopy. Not a lot mm -hmm. of small plants can can live that's fine for you know big animals like elk but when yeah. you start having new types of forests that are like super thick like an elk and full antlers can't move through a lot of the, yeah, the woods around here so. you yeah. know like it, so it's just it puts the, those creatures in an awkward position it's yeah. just, you know but we we just we play these weird games with creatures and uh you know and then you'll have it's I don't know. It, like it's when it comes to introducing creatures to an environment um, intentionally versus something getting introduced oh, to the yeah, environment yeah, that was uh, in, that we call invasive. Yeah. Okay, but it's like who's in? What are we talking about with respect to intent? Sure. You know, like so it, <laughs> you know, like yeah, the, 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 sometimes is, the yeah, animals figure it out, man. Yeah. You know, like sometimes they figure it out. They like. You know, like if you it, like here we we're sitting we every time for recent times uh, that we've been recording this podcast we've been up in the attic, you know, because it's just got a, a cooler ambiance up here. Plus, it's cold. We can kind of body harden, you know, like it's it's in the 30s out right now, and we're wearing wearing minimal clothing to to body harden up here. But you could just look out the windows and see stuff from like a, a three story up level. And lots of creatures have figured out how to take advantage of us, you know, or at least live, live with us. Yeah. You know, house sparrows, little house wrens, blue jays, you know, the squirrels, you got rats and mice and Shit different mice. types of bugs. Yeah. Like all these creatures have figured it out. And then you have all the predators, like the, the, the raptors that have figured it out, coyotes that have figured it out. Cause mm -hmm. we, you know, these, all these food sources start to get rich around our houses. You know, so like, so we we look at those things as pests. You know, like we call a lot of those things yeah. pests. Um, but they they figured out how to how to take advantage of us. You know, and uh, so those things will follow us to different places sometimes. You know, and the same thing occurs underwater. You know, like if you create an environment that's permissive to one species. You know, like like a lot of people when when the zebra mussels showed up here in the '80s, a lot of people freaked out. Um, they thought it was going to be like devastating, um, and I get that fear. I I remember it because that was like '83, '84 or something like that. Um, the water was always this mild stain, like this kind of pea soup color, 
and then the zebra mussels started showing up and there was all this weird propaganda out there like watch they're gonna like don't watch where you're stepping in the water they'll rip your feet open and you're gonna have cut feet like i remember at one point being scared to walk into the river which i had been waiting in my whole childhood uh thinking that a zebra mussel was gonna cut my foot open um but anyway like Nothing un- ended up happening out of it. You know, what ended up losing, I mean, they spread everywhere. Um, and sure, like they clogged the intakes of the power authority every once in a while. And I'm sure it has similar effects throughout the region as far as clogging dams and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's an infrastructure cost and not a, you know, not a huge one. Um, but the native mussels, okay, they got their ass kicked by the invasive. But other than that, like, you know, they, uh, it wasn't a huge loss, you know, and we added billions of filter, like billions of filter feeders got introduced to the system, clean the water out. Now, maybe it's too clear. Maybe. I mean, just like we talked about with Alex when he was here, like maybe it's too clear. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, uh, but I mean, comparative to like other lakes too, like it's right. Nothing, you know, it, it, exactly. You know, and then gobies came along with them. And guess, you know what's fascinating about that is gobies eat zebra mussels, so they're yeah. kind of like a self-contained thing. Yeah. But gobies will prey on other stuff, like mostly what they're eating is zebra mussels. So it's like you got this new little self-contained uh, food source. A couple of generations go by, a fish figure out how to yeah. eat them. You know, next thing you know, you have a, an altered ecosystem. Do we would we want it to go back to what it was prior to the goby? I mean, I don't know. Um, I know back then I caught a lot of the fishing community. I think they would say no. Right. You know, um, what I don't know is like, you know, how that's what I think is just so fascinating about the bass behavior that I observed this past week. Like, uh, is that behavior a result of, uh, you know, something that we introduced to the system? You know, like, so are they are they hanging out in super deep water because it's warm, warmer on the bottom or in the winter? Are they hanging out there because like what what are, what is the real reason why they're there? You know, I mean, I, I I'd love to have that discussion in a in a, in a separate podcast yeah. about the theories of why they're there. I want to keep fishing for them for a little while until we get into winter before I I get too deep on that. Yeah. But I think it's it's fascinating behavior and I, I makes me wonder how long this has been a pattern for those things. Yeah. So I was going to ask, and like, what do you think the river system looked like water clarity wise and all of that? Like, like we were saying in the one podcast about when the native Americans were harvesting them, like every fall, like for however many hundreds and hundreds of years, like let's say 600 years ago, what, what do you think the water clarity and everything would be like? I think it'd be like standard about three feet of visibility, man. You know, like the other thing too is, I, I, uh, if you, like, if you get like huge, like, you know, massive deluges mm-hmm. out west, like, let's, like a mountain, let's talk about a mountain, that doesn't even have to be out west. You could just talk about it in the mountains. If you were to, to go to, uh, the Shenandoahs, for example, mm-hmm. and, uh, an inch of rain fell mm-hmm. in the uh, like especially the the uh top portions of that cre- those creeks the water would come up but they wouldn't get stained 
it would get like maybe mildly stained uh, further downstream, but the water would just be high. It'd be flowing mm-hmm. really fast. Like in Alaska and like all the boreal rainforest forests in the southeastern portion of Alaska, a lot of rain falls, but the ground just filters it. And th- it basically what happens is the, the level of the creeks go up, but they don't get super muddy. You know, I'm willing to bet that something kind of similar to that would take place here, too. So you wouldn't have like uh, the water was never probably never really all that clear. It was probably about three feet of visibility like it is in most Mm-hmm. rivers that I've been to um, that aren't influenced by zebra mussels. I, you know, were they tannic? Probably not. You know, I think it'd be, I don't know what kind of watercolor to compare it to. Probably something like similar to like the, uh, the Juniata or the Allegheny, you know, um, like a, a darkish, yeah, more of a dark color, not that, fully yeah. tannic, but just yeah. a darker color. Yeah. Um, more like like the color kind of similar to uh like Casadega Lake maybe like okay. it's just just a different browner mm-hmm. Are the best you know they would have been colored up accordingly but I, you know it, it wouldn't it then it it started you know there'd be times a year where it would in the the winter time it'd be green you know where all the organic matter would be settled out and it would be more of a greenish color it's snowing outside right now great so but uh yeah you know and that, that's that's what i i'd i'd love to know about but yeah but anyway like they people will get really wrapped up in trying to determine how close you are to being wild or pure and uh it's i understand where the, the need for that comes from you know like uh Guyana, for example, like if we want to talk about like some straight up native stuff, mm-hmm. let's go to like, so, so, okay. So I go down to Guyana and, you know, we hunt and fish out of places that, uh, these, uh, the Rewa Indians have been fishing out of and hunting out of for generations, thousands and thousands of years, you know, that there's petroglyphs there and that, you know, they just don't even know who, who did them, you know? But that's all like near term, you know, if you listen to like Graham Hancock or like, yeah, yep, like, yep. and you start, he's a, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Like if you start listening to that and you like, like that, that opens up your mind, then it just starts to make the whole philosophy of like wild native stock and everything. Yeah. We could go confused. a whole podcast. Yeah. Like, a series but, on that topic. But in yeah, short, but, like yeah. South, South America, you know, in all likelihood at one point was like this huge freaking booming civilization. Yeah. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of evidence of this yeah. and uh, all throughout the, the Amazon rainforest yep. and uh, just like taken through LIDAR imagery and stuff like that. Well, but then, and, and take, and sadly deforestation. There yeah. A lot of shit, you know? Yeah. But they're like the, uh, the interesting thing is like a lot of the trees down there, like the nut and f- fruit producing trees that are down there are not native to there they're native to africa and like somebody figured out how to introduce them mm-hmm. there so they you know like how that happened and it flourishes yeah right like how did you know so it's like how long has this been going on you know i, I, I mean uh, i mean man if you go back like just historically to like the spice trades and everything it's like this is just all it's always been a thing like as, as far as like humanity's been 
traveling and connecting. Like, yeah, it's always a thing. Like, and and but my my other point there though too is that um, and, that, and that's plant life, but yeah. So yeah, like plant life, birds, all kinds of creatures have figured out how to move to new environments and adapt to them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's all part of a system. Yeah. You know, like everything's kind of fe- there, there's winners and losers, unfortunately, but it's all part of a system. Creatures have been figuring out how to spread and adapt to new environments since creatures have been creatures. We are just another creature. Now, we're, we're like a creature that has all kinds of crazy effects, I guess, effects that we're the center of or that you know, like from an ego we can perspective. manipulate a bit more. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, it, it's in the end the system is just it has rules and certain creatures figure out ways to adapt yeah. to it and win and others and others lose and that's just the the nature of things you know like if we started having different types of impacts on the environment certain creatures would definitely lose you know mm-hmm. like in it so it's we're all kind of connected together which brings us back to like to the fishery i, I uh yeah. you know i Again, although I try to, to look for native stuff, what I really want to be in is, is in an area that uh, is not basically not urban. You know, um, we live in an, in an urban fishery. We fish an urban fishery. But when you go into like the lower Niagara, it doesn't feel urban. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're way out in Lake Erie, it doesn't feel urban. Um now, when you fish the upper Niagara, like certain sections of it doesn't feel urban, you know, but then most of it does. Yeah, and that's um, how I feel on the Finger Lakes, like the ones with a lot of houses versus other ones. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely got that feel. It's more special with the less, like, yeah. But but I would prefer to fish in an area that's, you know, somewhat isolated. Yeah. And it's even nicer, in my opinion, when uh, what you're fishing is minimally influenced by man and you could go back like a long way like basically this area has been a national park for a while there has been no development here it's not been logged or at least or at least for the not past it hasn't for the past couple hundred years like if you can go somewhere old, but those places are extraordinarily rare yeah you know i mean like they're just they you know you'd have to go to like up into canada and in, in a you know, places in Russia, like there's just not a lot of places like that. Um, in d- different places in South America, I guess. But, you know, but look at like South America, like there's pretty amazing trout fishery. It's a pretty amazing trout fishery down there for all kinds of stuff. Like the Brits brought those there, you know, like brown trout, again, don't live in the United States. Like the Brits brought them there. The Caledonia fish hatchery just east of us is the first fish hatchery ever built in the united states it's how brown trout <laughs> got here and that's how rainbow trout got here that's awesome um you know so wow i did not, not know that. yeah but it, you know the, I, it's <sighs> when you fish for stocked fish though this is what what ends up happening is it's uh it's taxpayers' dollars, right, that produce this thing. So there's limits for them, and um, it's everybody's right to kill them. You know, like they that fish wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the taxpayers. Um, so, and you know, there's limits for them for that reason. Like, people should be allowed to keep them. 
So it makes it uh, difficult to connect with that fish in a way that it isn't a commodity, right? Like a walleye um, and a a smallmouth bass or a muskie or a northern pike in our region, you know, or a drum, like they're just, they're fish that are adapting to an ecosystem, like they're adapting to us and they're adapting to the things that we've done to it. They're just, they're, they're on the move trying to figure it out. There's not been any stocking for any of those things ever around here. They've just figured out. And flourished. Yeah, they yeah. figured out how to deal with it. Um, but the other fish are entirely dependent on, on stocking, which makes them a commodity more than, um, you know, they're paid for. So it, uh, it's, 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 a, it's like a... It's a, I'm a little squeamish about the relationship with those things. I'll, I'll yeah, say that uh, interesting for sure. Yeah, it's just, but they are when you see them, the way that they're behaving and the way that they figured it out. Like, let's not get any fucking mistakes about it. Like the brown trout, the steelhead, and the king salmon and the coho salmon that are introduced to the system, like they're introduced as fingerlings. So they've got to figure it out. Like the ones that made it are the, like they were strong. They figured it out, you know, like they grew to be like, if you catch a mature King, you know, three to four year old King, that's a big fish. And that fish was introduced to the system as a seven inch fish, you know, and, and it, it went out into the lake. It started eating everything. It get its freaking face on and uh, it survived. So there's something to be said yeah. about that, man. Yeah. Like that's that fish's journey is is an impressive one and by all accounts like it's it's wild now mm-hmm. you know like you couldn't just drop it in a hatchery yeah. and uh you know in, in, or, or in an aquarium and expect it to just freaking thrive in there like it, it would so it's definitely not a it's not like it. now if the difference would be is like if you're fishing for fish that have uh were just stocked in a creek off of a truck and you're pulling them out like the day after they're put in or, or in general, they were stuck in, in the truck and they're in a creek that they can't survive in at all. You know, there's a lot of warm water creeks that just get a dump of, of trout in them in, in the spring when the water's still cold. And pe- there's enough bugs and stuff for those fish to be able to survive for a little while. But for the most part, after those fish are put into the system, people catch them and they take them out and there's not much left over. And the ones that do live, they may make it into the following year or the year after if they can find like a cold seep somewhere, but in all likelihood, they're going to die. There's lots of creeks around that are like that, you know? So th- there, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. there's all, there's all kinds of levels here to, to think about because wow. there, there is a different, there's a difference between a steelhead. That's a hundred percent stocked fish and a rainbow trout put in on the cataragus that's a hundred the upper cat that's a hundred percent stocked fish mm-hmm. there's a difference in what those two creatures have to do have to deal with to survive you know and uh or may, maybe not the upper cat would be a bad example i, I don't know i've never fished like the genesee okay. for yeah, example yeah, yeah, yeah. um the upper jenny can it stays cold enough for fish, but the the places that get stocked for like the trout derby, for example, yeah. like those that water's too warm to sustain them over an extended period. So it totally needs stocking. Um, 
that that's the difference between so the the life that that fish lives there versus the life that a fish had to survive out in Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's us like romanticizing yeah. and connecting with these things yeah. in different ways, and you know, but it, and and because of that, that's what creates all these these different cultures. But when you really take a step back and think about it, like in the end, uh, just figure out what you like and go do it and enjoy it. Um, but just realize that there's cultural experiences surrounding most of those, like most of the things that are out there that we, that we pursue. And, uh, you know, we, we want to try to preserve those as long as we can. So, yeah, we all enjoy using them. So take care of them. So we have them for, for many years to come. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a great conversation. Uh, so we'll have definitely some good content next week as well. Getting out on the water tomorrow. Yep. Um, but yeah, everyone tight lines, have a great week and we'll catch you next, uh, next Sunday. See ya. If you want top quality jigs and jig heads, look no further than JDO Lure Co. I offer a variety of jigs. If you love smallmouth, then the Ned Rig heads and swim bait heads are for you. Pair them with your favorite soft plastic and get ready to catch fish. If you love largemouth, I also produce top-notch quality skip and flipping jigs, wire tied, and with a custom bait keeper. Made with premium gamagatsu hooks, powder coat finish to ensure durability, and each jig made by myself, by hand. Check out my lures on Instagram at JDO Lure Co. at JD underscore outdoors 1773. You can also catch my stuff in action on my YouTube channel, JD Outdoors.